Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, former Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT, but no Benjamin Kayser. <laughs> you saw him at the weekend, Johnny. Too much red wine? Was it something you said? What's happened? Uh, it was fairly abstemious until he got a significant text message from a former friend. And I've never seen a man's eyes light up from a text message from another man, the way Benji Kayser's eyes lit up when he got a message from Ronnie Roncero. Oh, exactly. Dangerous. Um, so no, look, it, it was it was great. It was great to be up there. It was great to catch up with Benji in person, which was the first time probably since we played against each other because we haven't seen each other at all since we started this. So it was also very cool to see how he operates as a pundit, the coolest man in the world, coolest cucumber, just rocks up, natural, all flows out, uh, very effortless compared to me, which is very robotic and <laughs> trying my ass off. <laughs> but great to see him. We even managed to do a bit of prep together before the game, watch the game together, which was very cool. And we had a few jars afterwards. But I had to get the plane the next morning over to Murrayfield. And I maybe left him about one in the morning when he got that message. And honestly, you've never seen a man's eyes, ears, everything prick up. Just the smile that came across his face you're saying come on we're going to this place called creamers or something in the middle of paris i was like mate it sounds like a total dive but he went off to meet um ronnie roncero there i think he ended up meeting sylvan marconi pierre rabadan um and so i think paris has him now mate if i'm honest well we have got a replacement for benji who's more than capable of filling his boots so we'll bring him in in just a minute but First, let's have a quick chat about the game in Paris and your weekend. Obviously, we've heard about your night with Benji, but not Roddy Roncero on Saturday. Uh, but we caught up on Sunday night as well. We did. And you had about a day's worth of travel after that as well. So you get back okay? You refreshed? How was your weekend? <laughs> no. Um, it, was, it was an amazing weekend of rugby. Absolutely loved it. Um, to be in the Stade de France was very, very cool. Pyrotechnics, flamethrowers, fans, and a pretty good game of rugby. I got that first flight over in the morning the day after to watch Scotland beat Australia, which was also pretty cool. And I spent the entire day in hospitality with one of my childhood heroes. So that was very cool too. I spent the entire day with Lions legend Jim Telfer. And yeah, get to watch Scotland beat Australia with him was very cool. He's 81. But my travel back on Monday took about 16 hours to get back to the south of France. So a little bit worse for wear, but a great weekend of rugby um, and absolutely loved it. And it was great to catch up with you as well for the first time in person. We've done this podcast for over a year now. We've not caught up all three of us all together, but we'll get the three of us together at some point. We'll get there. And Jim Telfer still doing it at 81. So is that a sign of things to come? You still be doing it at 81, the corporate? No, absolutely (laughs) no chance. Um, And look, the weird thing with him is, he retired in 2003 and for some reason he's just like sort of not slunk off, but hasn't really been brought into the corporate world, hasn't been brought in as a pundit. So you don't really get to hear from him. And that almost makes it more special to get to spend time with him. I mean, he's some man, like the, the career he's had, he's still now down in Melrose, gives tours of like the Melrose Gallery to people that come in and want to know about rugby. He finished in 2003, as I said, and was coaching like the under 16s and the cadet teams in Melrose and sort of youth coaching. So imagine like being the young boys in Melrose and having Jim Telfer come and coach you. Like absolutely incredible. And it was also quite cool to share some stories with him that I'd learned from, you know, my dad. He was one of his coaches. The regard that he held him in, dad would tell stories about this man in, in, in the Scottish border as being seen like in burns and rivers you know, lifting up massive boulders and chucking them over his shoulder because he wanted to get into strength training and nobody else was doing it. And that would give him an edge over sort of border rivals. I mean, just going back half a century and the stories were the same then, the sort of tales of how he would motivate and engage and rally the troops as a Scottish head coach, just an absolute phenomenon, a wonderful man and a Scottish rugby 
icon, an icon of Scottish sport, really. So no, it was really nice to spend some time with him. And let's just briefly touch on that game in Paris on Saturday night before we bring Benji's replacement in. And upgrade. Because <laughs> you were there and you mentioned the fans. Yeah. Did it feel special? Really special. Um, so the buzz walking up to the stadium, you could just feel there was sort of tension in the air because fans haven't had it. They haven't been there in those numbers and droves. And they've started little by little sport their clubs. But in terms of countries, we, we haven't had it. So it's that big feeling of big day out, getting your first beer with mates, walking to the national stadium, supporting your team, anthems. And, and so weirdly, the sort of compare and contrast, but Stade de France, when the sort of team sheet was getting called out and the, the different names were coming up, the absolute house. Okay, like for Antoine Dupont, the ovation, the man got like, it's like Lionel Messi. He is absolutely loved. So people are so happy to be back in stadiums, back watching their national sport, back supporting their teams. And you could see as well the reaction of players when they were getting clapped into stadiums, when the anthems were going, there were tears, smiles, absolutely loving it. During a warm-up, there's something tangible now and there's something in the air that players have missed for two years. And it's amazing for them to, to get it back. So for both sides, so for supporters and for the players, for staff, for stupid people like commentary, like the lift it gives you when you're going through, it can't be replaced. You mentioned Dupont. All the talk in the build-up was about his captaincy and then about his combination with Mathieu Jalibert. So difficult game for him, but how did he go in the, in the captaincy? In, look, in, in strictly in the captaincy, fine. He's a really calm, cool, collected individual. He's not somebody that's going to fall out with the referee. He manages things well. He calls well. Um, the game didn't really flow. So in terms of individual brilliance, we didn't see super Antoine Dupont, but we saw in fits and starts how he can break the game apart by himself, create something from nothing, which he always does. And he created loads of half chances and he was involved in some of their best plays. So the player, absolutely no question. The captaincy, absolutely fine. He's going to get better with time as well. Uh, so pass marks. I think the sort of main talking point was the 10-12 combination or Jali Tamak, as it's been dubbed by the French press, which is horrible. Jali Tamak. And just how they, they didn't really get to click. They didn't really get any time on the ball. I actually really enjoyed some of Mario Ledesma's strategic choices. So they opted to keep the ball on the field. They didn't kick out at all. Fabian Galtier, obviously one of his strengths from my time with him is attack, starter plays. He can completely carve things up. But when you take that away, you just give France unstructured play. And when you chuck in a 10-12 combo that hasn't played together, it's hard to settle. There's, there's no launch. There's no strike plays. It's in multi-phase of scrappy ball. So it was hard. It was hard for them. There wasn't any rhythm to the game. They also blitzed them in defense, came up and cut down all their time and space. So they didn't really look settled. I think from the training, what we've seen of training this week, it looks like they're going to start them again together, yeah. which is interesting. Um, I thought that might be a once and chucked out, but obviously they'll be given more time in the ball, more space, and they'll click, hopefully, um, much more efficiently against Georgia. So it looks like that's with one eye to go and play against the All Blacks. It was about time we got Benji's replacement on, his upgrade. And you're basically French, Johnny, now. An adopted Frenchman, we call you. You're basically French. So we thought in the interest of balance, we'd get an Argentinian on instead of a Frenchman to talk about France's clash with the Pumas. So former Argentina fullback and one of the best ever Argentinian imports to the top 14, Martin Bustos Moyano joins us. Hi team, how are you? We're good. It's nice to have you, mate, because you are an upgrade. You are also hot. You're half French as well, aren't you? Yeah, 
You're half Argentinian, half French. I'm half Scottish, half French. Ah, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm German as well. I forgot about that. Um, no, but it's good to have you. You'd also refer to yourself as a nine out of ten on a bad day, and Benji Kayser is probably a six and a half out of ten. So it's good to yeah, have you. Yeah, as I said t- before, I'm a nine and a half. <laughs> exactly. On a good day with the wind behind you and that monobrow <laughs> shaved in. Um, <laughs> mate, more generally, what is it about playing against the French national team that you guys absolutely love? Is it the similarity in temperament and mentality is it the fact that half you play here in the top 14 what is it exactly that gets you so up for these games because they're so good to watch i think that the games between france and argentina became really important for us at least after the world cup whether we beat them twice yeah so after that world cup it becomes like uh we came like the all blacks for france because we beat them after like i don't know five six games in a row and uh i think as well that the fact that a lot of players play used to play here in France, however, now you have a lot of Argentina as well. And where are they at, at the moment generally? Obviously, we saw them at the weekend and, and it was a very close game, but we're sort of halfway in between World Cups at the moment and obviously under Mario Ledesma, who you know well. So where do you think the Pumas are at right now? I think Argentina is through a big transition because there are a lot of young players, even players that play in the first international games. I think that we're struggling for the moment. I mean, in terms of results, because the the rugby they show a couple of years in the four nation, it's quite different from what we are showing now. And it's because you know the the former captain uh, Agustin Crave is not playing anymore. You got Sanchez that used to be in uh, the fly half, now he's on the bench, or sometimes he's not even playing. I think it's a as I said, as a trans- transition between old and young players. Can you give us a little insight into Mario Moore's man? Because obviously his first coaching role was when we were together at Montpellier, um, but you played with him. He was part your captain as part of the Puma setup. You played a few tests with him. What was he like in, as a player and as, as a bloke when you were around the same squad together? Well, I played with him with Ross at the end of his career. He was, I would say, quite tired. <laughs> <laughs> his level was not the same as he used to show in the, in the beginnings of his year in France. So I think he was more in the in the Puma because of his name, but his quality in that time. But uh, no, he's a good guy. Good guy as a as a as a, as a teammate. It's it's a, it's a good guy. It's a good a good captain. So I have a, him as a, as a coach as well, but not not me. I think you can say a little bit more, John. Technically, he was decent and and really young as well, new to it. And I was kind of surprised, not shocked, but I. I really enjoyed some of the choices they made on the on the field at the weekend. So leaving the ball on the field, making it hard for France. But obviously, he knows Fabian so well. Like he started off his career together. He, he they they knew each other inside out. So they kind of cancelled out certain elements of the game as coaches, which I find really interesting to to watch as the game went on. And then obviously the guy I just mentioned, but Fabian Galtier, now the French coach, he was he was a consultant for Argentina when you were part of the Argentinian setup, and it was him that took you and me. So I've always had like a I was going to say a thing for Fabian. That's a bit weird, but there's always a. It's really cool that he he brought us over. I feel really fortunate that he gave me a chance in France, playing for Montpellier, like big, beautiful city, great club to play in. So, like, how how would you regard Fabian in terms of the coach that you had? Obviously, as a young man, he's developed a lot now, but he's still the best attack coach I ever played with. He got the best out of me rugby wise that any coach got the best out of. He brought you over as well when you were 25, 26, signed you at Montpellier. Yeah, yeah I can agree more with you. I think it was one of the best coaches I had. He was the assistant coach in the national squad. 
I meet him there. We play a game against Scotland in Murrayfield. Was my first cup. I think you lost that one, mate. I think we lost. Yeah, I think we lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was a it was a good party after that, though. Yes. You said it's a, it's a great coach, great tactical tactical coach, technical coach. But uh, apart from that, and you know, human the human part of Fabian is quite complicated because being with Fabian is quite like intense and. In terms of, I said, uh, the human, his human part is not that sensible. Yeah, we've had this chat before, haven't we, Johnny? That <laughs> everyone has said that's why he's so suited to international rugby yeah. because short bursts. Yeah, I, I think that being with players uh, just two or three weeks more than enough. Because, as I said, he's a great, great coach. He tells you what is going to happen in the game. Everything happens exactly as he says. He gives everything for you to find a solution for that situation during the game so in terms of coaches he's amazing his rugby iq and like giving you the keys into how to unlock a game yep is unbelievable and and that was the coolest bits on number eight was that you knew exactly where to go to get your touches on the ball how to affect the game how to break the game down and effect, effectively be effective as a team um which i hadn't had before to that level but like you said, a little bit complicated sometimes, but at the same time, I remember having the conversation with you, with Francois Tranduc, with Mamuka Gorgodze, and saying, if this guy ever gets hold of the French national team, they're yeah. going to be insanely good. Um, and that's what they have now. That's what's exciting. And so for you and me, when we first signed together, like you were part of a wave of, there was Juan Figalo, Chippy Figalo, there was Santi Fernandez, Lucas Amorosino, Augustin Crevy. Like there was a whole raft of Argentinians came over. Yeah. And that was probably the most... I ever enjoyed my rugby because the squad was so diverse. You had Argentinians, you had Georgians, Fijians, one Scottish guy representing the UK, Shantaine Happy, Anthony Tuatavaki, Rennie Ranger. Like the squad was just insane. And a few Frenchies. The sort of underbelly was Frenchies. Um, and that was it. You just played fantastic rugby every weekend. You, you lived in a beautiful part of the world. It was just amazing. The recruitment to bring you both in there, it was all Fabian. Yeah. So Fabian at that time, so obviously he'd worked with the Argentinian team, but he was also part of his contract was that he could be, he was the France, the France TV um, commentator. So he'd watch all the international rugby games and that's where he would just like cherry pick players that he enjoyed watching players that, cause he's got a good eye. Maybe not with me, but he's got a good eye for talent. And he that's it. He would just pick people that he enjoyed watching or thought could add something different to the team in Montpellier. Um, and that was the team that he assembled. So he did recruitment. He did the attack. He was the head coach. And it was 100%. He did everything. He did everything. And 100%, it was the best rugby experience I had. Yeah, it makes sense. I agree. I agree with you. Because on the field, it was, it was really in all the details. And, and I think with him, I started learning how to watch a game not just as a fan, it's not that uh, analyze the games because he gave us different situations along the week to prepare the game. And that was the first time somebody offered me that. Too. And, and I think I evolved a lot with him as a, as a player. And if Argentina are in transition, then this France side have been through transition already. And now people are talking them up as potential World Cup winners in 2023 on home soil. Is it time for them to win something now? Do they need to win a Six Nations to prove that they're contenders? I think, well, the World Cups, you know, it doesn't matter how the way you, you reach the World Cup as long as you have uh, good games during the World Cup. For example, Argentina had a good team. The relationship between the players is very good. They have big possibilities to get, a, I, don't, I won't say chances, but a semi-final. Uh, I think the France the same way. 
if you say they, they need to win something to prove it, uh, I don't really agree. They could have won the Six Nations if they won that last game very easily. I think the spine of their team is settled. Uh, I think they have X factor. I think they're more professional than they've ever been in the way they defend, the way they grind, the way they're organized. They have that sprinkling of X factor. Their attack structure is now as good as any other nation. It's just unlocking that at the right time, which is the same for every other nation uh, that, that takes part in the World Cup. And for every other nation looking on and for everyone that hasn't played in France, there's also something to be said for how, how hard it is playing away from home against French sites with home support. Like for Martin and I, playing for Bayonne or playing for Montpellier and going to Clermont or going to Cast is a completely different kettle of fish. And I think that is the same for any country coming here and playing against France on home soil in a 2023 World Cup with 50, 60, 70, 80,000 Frenchmen and the carnival that they will provide behind their French side. It makes it that much harder. So look, I wouldn't bet against them. I think they've got everything set right and in their favour. Um, they've got young players that are coming to fruition and leaders that are now developed and they're performing week in, week out in the top 14 and to the French national team. So like they're up there. There's three or four, there's maybe five sides that could win this World Cup and they're one of them. And one of the newer faces in the front starting 15 at the moment who's really stepping up is a goal-kicking fullback, which is something you should know something about, Martin. So Melvin Jaminet, talk us through him. Uh, he's a really good player. I, I don't think he's going to stay that long or in, in Perpignan. Eh? I'm sure he's going to no. live somewhere else. Because huh? <laughs> he's having really good games. He's a very good player, not even kicking, but always running with the ball. He's an attack player, counter-attack. Uh, I really like him. Eh? I think he's already rumoured to be off to Toulouse, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to last long either at Perpignan. Depends if they stay up. No, even if they stay up, I think... He's gone. He's yeah. gone, yeah. We might come back to a few more rumours later on, Johnny. But for the time being, we'll come back to international rugby as well in a bit. But obviously the two of you are teammates, so we can't get you on without asking you a bit about Johnny and playing with him at two different clubs. So you play with him at Montpellier and then you moved on to Bayonne a few years later... Johnny rocks up again. So you couldn't shake him off, could you? <laughs> he was following me. Eh? Well, have a week. I arrived one year before Johnny to Montpellier. So I prepared all this, everything for him. Uh, we had a really good time. <laughs> red carpet. In, in it was rolled out. The red carpet was rolled out. The Scottish style was arriving. Uh, we had a really good time there. At the beginning, well, we, we met in Montpellier without kids. And then we came here to the Compass country. Two kids, no life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important bit. We had fun in Montpellier. We didn't, that was yeah. it. But it was just Francois Tranduc owned his own bar there. So every time we'd be there after games with everybody, really social. And again, it was mainly young couples. So it was very cool, especially for first experience in France. It was a really good time on the field and outside the field. Which made the difference. It just meant that, and weirdly, it might have been different for you, Martin, but for me coming from Glasgow and the west coast of Scotland to coming to Montpellier, like I remember... I remember on like the fifth day of preseason, Fabian was like, ah, let's go down the beach and just like cancel the fifth day of preseason. I was thinking we we're going to get slaughtered, cancelled it all, took us down to the beach, took us down to the port actually. And he's like, come on, we're going to speak to the fishermen. Went down and like they set out tables. We found their oyster catch. We were opening oysters, having champagne on the fifth day of preseason. I thought, if this is what professional rugby is like, I, I in don't France, remember in the middle of winter going to ski. Yeah, they would take us up to, I can't remember, was it up in um, San Larry? Maybe they took us up to the, the stadium, the ski resort where they have the Fabian Galtier Stadium, it's named after him. 
Um, and there would be like one or two days of activity, which would be climbing up a mountain in the snow, but that'd be followed by three or four days of team bonding, barbecues, um, and just a fun time. So it was an incredible first experience. So that was Montpellier. And then Bayonne, Johnny, essentially, Martin is responsible for your next contract. You were. Yeah, I'm waiting for the tea, eh? <laughs> the commission it's on normally it's the it's the clubs that pay the agents and the commissions fee mates you might be waiting but the checks in the post <laughs> do you remember how it happened uh, i remember after the we won against oriac who in the in the locals i was having a talk with the with the coach you text me like saying good luck or congratulations can, can we remember and i said what about if we make we bring johnny to bayon next year and the coach Look at me and say, "Oh, that's a good idea." That, that is yours, huh? I got, I got it, the idea of Johnny, the, the young Johnny, strong Johnny, Johnny from Montpellier. <laughs> and you got a slightly, <laughs> slightly, slightly beaten up older version. I, I can remember not really taking it seriously without causing offence. I can remember sending a message to you because obviously we're mates and had a really good time on Pelly, just sending you well and, and wishing you well for the final against Oriac. But it must have been three or four hours yeah. before kickoff and you writing back and saying, oh, I'm sitting with Aceto, with Vincent Aceto, who's the coach. And he says, if we win, you're going to come, you're going to sign for us. And I was like, oh, I've still got an extra year in my contract to cast. Like, I don't know if that'll happen. And then you won the game and I sent you saying, enjoy the party, enjoy the celebrations. And then another text, <laughs> about, I'm still with Aceto. And now he's serious. Like, he's going to send you an offer in the next 10 days. And that was it. it. Happened really quickly. But I can remember for you, you'd had Martina, your first daughter, essentially straight after that win. So you didn't even get to enjoy the celebrations of the first time you got by on from body to up to top 14. You had to go straight to the hospital, didn't you? Actually, the day before, Kochi, my wife, we went to the hospital. I had to stay at the hospital and the president took me from the hospital to the stadium. I played the game and straight away I came back. So you didn't quite get the helicopter like Joe Marler. It was a little bit <laughs> different because it was 2016. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the same budget, I think, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was, it was as, as easy as you said eh? uh, here we are a eh? couple of years later not only are you responsible for getting Johnny a, a bumper contract but you're also responsible for his way of life he's staying there for life in the, the south of France he could have been back in Scotland now yeah you know one of the things that uh, Galtier told me the, the day I told him I was leaving he said remember you want to stay there in the Basque country you want to, want to live there a couple of years later, I'm here still here, <laughs> leaving my kids for one year. I have a house, my wife. You've got all of that. And is there a, a statue of you on the way as well? Because Johnny mentioned you're getting them promotion then. You've done it twice. You've got them promoted twice back up to the top 14. So are you a hero in, in Bayonne? Is there a statue coming? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I got lucky twice. That's it. <laughs> Johnny, he's very modest, but you can tell us. I think there is a statue and there is a monument in the supporters' heads. I think for both of us, it kind of finished at the wrong moment. It was bittersweet. So it was effectively our last game. The, the pair of us played our last games together after that journey started in Montpellier for the club. But ultimately, we were kind of pushed, if, if that's the fair way to say it. So I think in the supporters' eyes, they will never, ever forget what Martin did for the club to bring them up from Pro De which is an absolute marathon, a slog, not an easy competition to get out of. To do that, not only once, but twice. Once by kicking Oriac to death, and then the second time by beating Breve in stoppage time with the last kick of the game. Um, there won't be many people, um, and that's Frenchmen included, that are held in as high a regard 
as Martinez by the pay Basque population, by Bayon supporters, um, and the boys that he played with in general as well. So I don't think there's a statue in the car park just yet, but there might be something in the pipeline. That second promotion, getting them promoted, that turned out to be your last kick in professional rugby, didn't it? So at the time, there was headlines everywhere about they stopped picking you in the second half of the season because you had a clause in your contract about it being automatically renewed if you played a certain amount of games. But then you get to the playoffs and they bring you back in, you kick them to promotion and then out again. Yeah, that's quite the story. Actually, it was that way. Uh, in December, the coach called me and told me uh, I was, wasn't playing anymore because they realised that there was a new person. The new person realised that I had a contract but if I keep on playing and I reach 15 games, I have one more year. Uh, he didn't know about it, apparently. So they say even you you say no to that clause and you, you play or you stay outside the field. So I stay outside the field for two or three months till I said, okay, stop. I will be the one that to decide where if I keep on playing or not, not the club. So I say, okay, I don't mind. I will say no to that clause and I will I will be available for, for the coach. And that was the way it was. It's a shame, but uh, at least uh, I finished rugby the way I want on the field and outside the field. That's the way I want to remember the things. And I know you had a wrist injury at the end as well, but you had offers from elsewhere, didn't you? After you left Bayern, you were going to sign somewhere else, weren't you? Yeah, I had a couple of offers from Paris to lose uh, just for one year. Uh, but I decided to stop, stay here with the family, not not to move again. My, my daughter was starting school, and there was a lot of changes just for one year. I, I would prefer to to stay here. We we are really good. Our house, we have our house as I said before, and we are really happy. The environment, the place, security, the quality of life is amazing. I can't imagine another place like this. And you mentioned the first promotion. You had to rush straight back to hospital. So that second one, the last game of your professional career, did you manage to celebrate that? Tell me you did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. We did, we did with Johnny, with the whole team, yeah. Well, you can ask Johnny what happened with him after the game. You know, I was going to ask you, obviously I got left by the, <laughs> by the staff manager who left me in the stadium because Paul Farr, Namibian number eight, was taking a piss and doing his drug testing. So they forgot about us because they were so keen to get back to Bayonne and get on it and enjoy the party. So they forgot about me. So I was going to ask you, how was the bus trip? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> I hope it was worth it. You enjoyed that bit probably the most. But the, the celebrations afterwards were amazing, even though it finished on a, on a strange note. It was, it was so good to finish with the players, with the staff thousands of supporters in Bayonne. Yeah, it was amazing. It was crazy. You were the balcony in the Marie, um kissing babies and switching on the Christmas lights and the hero of the town. Um, so you absolutely <laughs> loved it. But it was. It was just an amazing way to finish, even though it wasn't exactly easy for either of us during the year. Um, it was a very cool way to finish together in the end. Yeah, it was a really long year. And it was a very good way to finish it. Martin, it doesn't say a lot for poor old Johnny that... Not only the, the the team manager, but all of his teammates were like, ah, it's fine. We'll just leave him there. It's fine. <laughs> or he didn't even notice that he wasn't on the bus. I, did, I didn't know Johnny wasn't on the bus. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't judge you, mate. I, I wouldn't have noticed either. Mate, you were having the time of your life. It was four of us. It wasn't like it was just me. And we actually got a police escort, which went about 200 kilometers an hour back to Bayonne to try and reunite us with everyone and get into the party. So mate, it was a good story. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous at the time. It's still ridiculous now with hindsight, but um, good memory, hilarious now looking back um, and a nice way to end, as I mentioned. It was cool. Just to defend myself, I was with my family, so I jumped onto the bus at the last moment. 
that's why the umbrella wasn't there and how long's the journey back no just just one hour hour and a half maximum you were only missed for an hour and a half if it had been three hours Johnny, they'd have noticed. <laughs> just the head count just the head count <laughs> that's all we're asking <laughs> shall we go back and talk about some more international rugby now then yep do it johnny you and i were in edinburgh on sunday and you were very happy obviously as a scar mm-hmm. but there was a frenchman at the heart of that Roman Poit refereed his last international match and uh, you know he hasn't been universally popular at all times as I'm sure no referee is but only Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes have refereed more at international level than him so it's been a hell of an innings hasn't it? A ridiculous innings really and yeah a little bit controversial way to finish against Scotland I, I didn't think that was a yellow card and that was a big moment and a big game changer um, disallowing that try for Hooper the contact, which was a touch to the face by Alalatoa. I think that was a big moment and, and it did change the game. I thought that could have been a little break for Australia, but it wasn't to be the case. But but more generally, he's one of the best of all time. He's been at the top level for a long, long time. On a personal note with me, the first sort of random games that I captained for Montpellier and cast, he would communicate in English and it'd be real nice and a helping hand. And then little by little with Bayon and, and, and later on it was on French. So it was a little sign of maybe I was progressing which is a nice dot of the cap. But look, he's been at the top of the game for a long, long time. There's been a couple of howlers. What referee doesn't have them? Um, and a couple of things that are questionable. But across the piece, and I think Martin would agree as well, he's been a great ambassador for French rugby. He's been great in the top 14 as well, which is a hard place to referee. Going to away crowds every weekend and getting pushed, getting booed. You go back to old stories at Cass where they'd flip referees' cars over to put pressure on them in the car park. Um, like it's a tough old place to referee. So he's done really well. He's been a good ambassador for French rugby. And yeah, he's not finished quite yet. He's a few more games to do in the top 14 and in European rugby. So we haven't quite seen the last, the last of him. But I did think it was a really cool moment at the end of the game, even though they had that disagreement on field, which was quite diplomatic at the same time, that they could finish it properly. They could shake hands. They could have a beer together, Hooper and Poit. And uh, he received a didgeridoo, I think, as his farewell present from Michael Hooper which is quite cool a nice touch so look an absolute stalwart and looking forward to seeing him finish in the top 14 not sure if you managed to get that did you do on the plane back to France (laughs) (laughs) many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, before we look ahead to the coming weekend, it's about time we did our meter moment of the week isn't it johnny so do you want to talk us through it yep so the meter moment of the week martin you'll be joining us taking the place of benji kayser is essentially where we pick our favorite moment from rugby at the weekend so our meter moment of rugby of the weekend so i've got one and you've got one yep it's not a competition we could agree we could disagree and i'll let you go first for me the meter moment of the week is the when all the supporters of the scottish rugby were singing the Flowers of Scotland. Oh, he's good. Martin. He's buttering Martin. Your... It was really amazing, eh? You were crying. It's emotional. Almost. Almost. Did you see that the French national anthem copied it as well? It's the second verse of the French national anthem was sung a cappella at the Stade de France. They'd, they'd never done that before, which I thought was really cool. You agree with me? That's, I don't know. We'll see if mine's better, but that's a good one. I'll take that one. My meter moment of the weekend was friend of the show. 
and his performance at the weekend, Thibaut Flamont. Four or five years ago in Loughborough first, not even first, Loughborough fifth, 15, playing standoff, thinking, what am I doing here? Get me out of here. And at the weekend, general all-round performance, top tackler, first cap, and scores from about 30 metres in a try that he should never, ever stop talking about. You know that he played for the, he played in Argentina? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's been on the show. His story is absolutely amazing. Completely done it the hard way, and there won't be many people that do it like him now in the professional era. Really, really rare. And that's why even more so, this was my moment. My metre moment is his performance, his first cap, his first try, top tackler, and basically an amazing weekend. That must have been ridiculous for him, for his family, and a way to celebrate. So that is my moment of the weekend by meter is the performance of Thibaut Flamont. This is tricky. Surely it's got to go to Thibaut, but Martin's pulled on your heartstrings there. <laughs> Flower of Scotland. Yeah, Thibaut gets it for me. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> we'll give it to Thibaut. Well, that was Johnny and Martin's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer. And they've made over 9 million cooks better with their revolutionary app as well. So it's no surprise their users are growing rapidly every day. If you've ever said your pork or your turkey's dry, How's your cooking, Martin? How's your pork? How's your turkey? Better than Johnny's. No, it's not. He's Argentinian. He likes his steak well done. It's disgraceful. It's like leather. So you could do the meter, Martin. You need one for Christmas. For all Argentinians, this is what you need you have no to idea. do your steak properly. Well, Martin, you can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. We'll send you one over for Christmas. Enter a whole new world of cooking and join the Metaverse at www.meter.com and just use the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout for 10% off any full price item as well. Let's look ahead to this weekend then and France, Georgia in Bordeaux. How good is it to see them playing outside of Paris, first of all? Very cool, especially for a rugby hotbed that is the southwest of France. So everyone around here is going absolutely bananas and they're looking forward to driving up. You know, it's not a big flight up or a trek up to Paris. It's a stadium that's near to this area of France. The south of France is where, I mean, they really should move the national stadium down here, to be honest. Definitely. Um, and this is where the rugby population is. And that's why everyone's pumped. I know it's only a test against Georgia, but very cool to see something slightly further south. Um, and a little bit of a point of difference for the French rugby fans. They'll be really excited. And what are we expecting from Georgia? Martin, you must have played with a fair few Georgians. We know the stereotype of they've got a million props and not too many in your position, but they have improved, haven't they? They're evolving yeah, like they, everyone. Yeah, they, they improve actually. They're, they're, I think there's eight, 18 players from the squad that play yeah. in, in France. I think most of them are forwards. So. I think they're, they're, they're evolving on, you know, just only scrum on... I'm pushing. I think they're, they're playing a little bit more. That makes them be more dangerous. Uh, we'll see what uh, what comes out with against France. And the debate comes around all the time, doesn't it, about them joining the Six Nations? They're essentially the seventh best team in Europe. I mean, we won't go into it all now, but uh, this is big for them, isn't it? Against France, in France, to show what they can do to just sort of push their case even further. I think there was a stage where they were really knocking on the door. When they had, you know, Mamuka Gogodzi, our old teammate from Montpellier, was leading the charge, captain. Uh, he was man of the match against New Zealand. There was a, yeah. there was a, there was a point in time where it was a real question. Since then, a lot of the old heads have have moved out. Zirakashvili, Mamuka Gogodzi, a lot of the sort of older statesmen have retired, and they like Argentina in a phase of transition. If you look at the under twenties tournaments, the players that are coming through. They've got some really talented young kids in a number of positions, not just um, up front. And I think a few more of them will be shining in the top 14 over the next couple of years because they've been picked up in academies. So right now is definitely not the time because they are not good enough 
I would say, to be competitive in the in the Six Nations. But potentially, you look at their player base, it's pretty much exactly the same as Scotland. They've got the same amount of licences, same amount of players registered in adult rugby. So it's only a matter of time and they will kick on. So now's not the moment, but potentially one day. Well, on, on the other hand, you have Italy that the level is not really good. They're decreasing the, the level of players, the amount of players. So maybe one day Georgia will take the place. And that was the same, wasn't it, for Italy? You mentioned, Johnny, when Mamuku Gorgata was on the charge and Georgia didn't get entry. The same was for Italy and that generation back then when Diego Dominguez was in his pomp and then they had players coming through and they had a golden generation, as people yeah. like to term it. Well, the look of the draw and, and various other economic factors behind it but Italy got their chance and Georgia haven't had theirs they did and they took it and they have produced some absolute gems like you said the Bergamasco brothers Parise some of the talent they've had as yeah but if you have a look more of the uh, of the players they are, they are not Italian they are uh, Argentinians so Dominguez Parise Canale Orquera and they are, on the other hand you have Georgia the old Georgians which is good. Exactly. I think Mark Martin's pushing for the Georgians. I'm not sure if you've got a few of this. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit of resentment for the Argentinian qualified uh, Italians. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't mind times the Argentinians play for, it, for Italy, but I'm scared from Georgians. That's why. You mentioned earlier on, Martin, you've got some German in you. Have you got any Georgian in you? Because you could play a sevens event and then maybe qualify for Georgia for the next World Cup. <laughs> no, no. no, no Georgian. Let's turn our attention to France now and the way they might line up because people might look at that game in between a test against Argentina and one coming up against the All Black and think they're going to rotate completely, but it doesn't look like it. And pictures no. coming out of training suggest that Matisse Labelle might get his chance on the wing in place of Gabin Villiers. But other than that, it looks like it's going to be the same back line, the end to Max Jalibert combination again in the forwards. Rumours are Makalu is going to start, Aldrit is going to come in, Waki potentially playing second row because Thibaut Flamon is, is injured. But, you know, not too many changes. A little bit surprised then after the performance against Argentina, not surprised. So you want that access to settle and feel confident going to playing against New Zealand. I initially thought like you, they would rotate, but then are you really going to rotate everyone, give them rest the week out before playing New Zealand? Not really. So look, it's the right choice. It didn't quite spark the way they wanted, although it was workman like the victory against Argentina. But the guys you mentioned there, I don't think there were many changes at all, if any. I think Greg Aldrich might come in as a possibility, but you mentioned Walkie moving up to second row. I think that's just because Thibaut's been out um, a little bit sore after his performance of the weekend. He'll probably slot straight back in because he was, for me, the man of the match uh, on the field. I think they look for consistency, try and build a little bit of momentum. And that 9, 10, 12 axis that we keep talking about if that's going to be used to play against New Zealand, they need to go in with confidence. So they need another game under their belts to rack up some tries against Georgia. You probably hook these boys after 45, 50 minutes and wrap them in cotton wool after those minutes to start the biggest test that they've played together uh, as a 23. Yeah, we should say these are rumours coming out of training in the early part of the week. So it, yeah. it could be very different come the end of it, but it does look like they're going to stay fairly consistent, Martin. So it's a way of, as well of playing against this kind of team that they never play with against, you know? They never had a chance to play against Georgia and it might be a team that we, they will face in, in the World Cup. So it's a hard team. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good experience for France, but I think it's very useful as well to try new things, different kind of strategies. I don't know. Nogaltis have some different systems, so you can change it to from one to another one. It's a way of, as well of evolving. And particularly the Entomac jalibert combination, whatever you called it earlier on, Johnny's, I can't even remember. 
Jelly Mac. I don't know what I called it. Surely Enter Bear is better than Jelly Mac, isn't it? But anyway, that that is something that you know you you know more than Johnny Martin in the backs. You need to work on those combinations, don't you? You can't just play it in not great conditions against a tough Argentina team and then you know rest them and then bring him back against the All Blacks. They need this game, don't they? And they need to work on that combination. Oh, definitely. They, they need to work. The small details, they sometimes uh, are more important. It's important as well to have, a, a, well, at least for me, I prefer playing with two tens, like Charlie Bird and Mutamak. Um, I think uh, if he plays against Georgia, he won't play him against New Zealand. Who? Who won't play against New Zealand? Charlie Bird. See, I think the other way. I think if you're going to play them again together, Jali Tamak, I've got it back in my head now. <laughs> if you're going to play them together, it's because you want to string them together and get them used to doing something before they play against you. I think if you play them together in this test match, it's to build confidence and so they can go at it because they don't really have any other players, mate. That's the other thing. With the injuries they've got, the only other option is Jonathan Dante. Yeah, that's true, but I think he's going to try something different against the All Blacks. You think Fabian will show a different hand? He's not going to show the same hand to against him in a row. Uh, I'm trying to think of Fabian. Yeah, you know Fabian very well. So you think he's going to spring a surprise? He doesn't want to show his hand to the All Blacks. No, he he's, he has always a a surprise. He's always trying to surprise the the team. So I don't know. We'll see. But I I think he's going to play Jolly and Tamag this week, but not the not against the Blacks. Interesting. Well, we will get your predictions in for this weekend shortly. But just before we do, there's been a bit of transfer gossip in the top fourteen, as there usually is every week. And a lot of it centres around Bordeaux, where this weekend's game is. So what's been going on with Bordeaux, Johnny? Well, firstly, a big sort of shockwave has been sent around the paybasque where we are because Yannick Brew is rumoured to be leaving Bayonne. That's it. Um, so he's now not in charge of the recruitment process or anything that's happening in Bayonne for next season. Not quite sure where he's going to end up, but rumoured that potentially Montpellier, potentially Lyon. Potentially racing. Potentially to racing as well. And when that happens, it kind of knocks. There's like a chain reaction of dominoes that things start knocking into place and, and contracts start getting gobbled up. So you've got Hugo Boniface, who's a sort of young loose head that we played with Martin, who potentially could pay, play for France long-term as well. Fitness coach as well, leaving. There's, there's a few guys leaving. So Hugo looks like he's maybe moving up the road to Bordeaux. Uh, Thierry... Payava, who's in the French extended squad, but not in this camp, looking at moving to La Rochelle. You then at Bordeaux. I, again, it's a sort of tip of the cap to Urios because things are going so well. Some of the players are really shining. So Satini potentially moving on. You've got Ben Lam, who's been exceptional so far. Again, linked with um, Montpellier. And then like as these chess pieces move, things fall into place for loads of different players. So you've got Teddy Bobigny, who's been out of contract to Racing 92. He's potentially moving that to Toulon. You've also got Swan Rabash, who just re-signed four years at Toulon. So it's the time of year where everything is happening and all the contracts are getting signed. It's a happy time for everyone if you've got something secured. Uh, a little bit difficult for those coming towards the end of their career, like Martin and I. Um, but it is what it is. It's non-stop. And every week something's happening in top 14 at the minute. Well, let's finish off by getting your predictions in for the Autumn Nation series then. And the Guinness Pint predictor on Match Pint is back. So anyone listening can join in and prove they know far more about the game than so-called experts like Johnny, Benji, <laughs> Martin. It's really simple. You just download the Match Pint app, predict the scores, beat your mates and win pints of Guinness. And to compete against Johnny and Benji and Martin, all you need to do is enter our private league with the code LaRugby. And the overall winner of that will get a very special prize at the end too. So Martin, you're our special guest and our former Puma. So I'll ask you first, Italy, Argentina, what's happening at the weekend? I think Argentina is going to beat Italy for 15 points. Very similar. I've got 
Italy 19, Argentina 27. Wales, Fiji, Johnny? I am going to go Wales 36, Fiji 13. Again, I don't know the prep that Fiji have had. I don't know where they were last week. I don't know what squad they have assembled, but it's never easy for them at the end of year tour. So Wales 36, Fiji 13. Yeah, I see Wales, Wales as well for 22 points. But you never know with the Fijians, eh? Flying Fijians are dangerous. Come to you first, Martin, because Johnny's biased on this one. Scotland, South Africa. I'll say South Africa. 10 points. <laughs> oh, Martin. You had me with the anthem earlier and now you've gone back into your pocket. Um, I thought Scotland were actually very good last weekend at the bits that you have to be good at to beat South Africa. So the set piece was good. Line out was good. I also found out the South African boys were out in the piss on the Wednesday night before the Welsh test until six in the morning. So sort of questioning where their heads are at. South Africa have also already picked Willie LaRue back in, who doesn't enjoy a high ball. Elton Janchi's at 10. He's talking up, Martin. This is only going one way. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, if you're going to knock the World Cup winners over after a British Lions tour couldn't do it, and you've got Finn Russell and you've got an attack-minded coach in Gregor Townsend, I don't know. I've got a little, little sneaky feeling. I might be very, very wrong, but I'm going to go Scotland 24, South Africa 22, margin of two points and a little win for Scotland, which would be really cool. Wow. England, Australia, Johnny. Uh, England by eight points. Um, hopefully, Marcus Smith starting. Eddie Jones just picking his best players. Maybe Don Brandt will get a run and he'll do things right. Um, but England have got a lot of quality. Australia kind of tripped up in a few areas in that game against Scotland. So I think England by eight, 28 20. I will pick Australia. Four points. I feel like, uh, they got a good team. I don't like England. Sorry. <laughs> Never did. One these 50 on. Ireland, New Zealand, Martin. I would be definitely a Kiwi. Big margin, little margin? I would say five, six points. I've gone a bit bigger. I thought Ireland were really impressive last weekend against Japan. Didn't see that result coming against Japan. But New Zealand are just on a bit of another planet this year. So I'm going to go New Zealand by 11, 29, 18 to New Zealand. And the big one, France, Georgia. Jali Tamak. (laughs) Jali <laughs> Tamak to come together I don't think Georgia will like they'll be competitive at scrum time and they'll be scrappy at malls but I just think overall France has got way too much quality too well coached too well organised um, I am going to go 50 points to 9 for France I we agree with Johnny this time but I think it's going to be a 20 points difference bit closer but still a big win for France yep thanks Johnny a big thanks to Martin for filling Benji's boots and doing it even better we might have you on next week Martin <laughs> thank you very much and you're a much more attractive version than Benji Kayser a big thanks to both of you we'll see if Benji returns next week or not thanks to everyone out there for listening as well make sure you hit subscribe leave us a nice review if you can as well check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube and we'll be back with another episode next week au revoir guys cheers Tim bye bye